0: This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Eli Lilly, Merck Sharp and Dome Corp and Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. I'm Emma.
1: And I'm Liam. As the risk of kidney disease is another major consideration in diabetes, Last episode, we discussed ways to help people with diabetes reduce their risk. As we did a few episodes ago when discussing cardiovascular risk, we wanted to hear the perspective of an expert in the field of nephrology on how diabetes specialists can best work with their nephrology colleagues to provide optimal care. Today, we're joined by Professor Ian De DeBoer to discuss opportunities for healthcare professionals in diabetes and nephrology to collaborate in caring for people with diabetes.
0: Professor DeBoer is Professor of Medicine and Associate Director of the Kidney Research Institute at the University of Washington in Seattle and co-chair of the 2020 Diabetes and CKD guideline published by Kidney Disease Improving Global Outcomes or KDEGO. His disclosures are available in the episode notes. Hi Professor Boer, thanks very much for joining us today. So first question, how common is it for you to see a person with diabetes in your clinic? And is there a lot of crossover between renal disease and diabetes?
2: I see patients with diabetes in my nephrology clinic all the time. I think about half of my patients have diabetes. They've usually been referred for proteinuria or rising creatinine uh, or complications of kidney disease like hypertension or electrolyte abnormalities. And I think this is pretty representative of the case for nephrologists in general. Uh, diabetes is the leading cause of kidney failure in the industrialized world. United States and UK counts for about half of all kidney failure cases that uh, require dialysis or kidney transplantation. So, from a public health standpoint, diabetes really is uh, the leading uh, problem uh, for for nephrologists and kidney care and uh, the application of dialysis and kidney transplant. Uh, it, it, it's very common.
0: And have you personally ever made a diagnosis of diabetes yourself from someone presenting to your services? And if so, did you offer any management advice yourself or did you refer them on?
2: Uh, I have indeed made a diagnosis of diabetes before and uh, Uh, In a couple of scenarios, one is uh, I I do have patients with chronic kidney disease who are uh, treated long-term. Some of those are treated with immunosuppressive medications for glarinophitis, for example, prednisone, uh, and have developed diabetes because of their complications um, of of the therapies I prescribed. And usually, in those situations, I work quite closely uh, with my endocrinology colleagues to, to treat the nuance of diabetes or uh, to alter my therapy to make it less toxic to their beta cells and, and preserve their, their beta cell function. Um, I've also had patients under my longitudinal care over years for non diabetic chronic kidney disease who have developed. Uh, diabetes uh, apparently unrelated to the kidney disease or or um, their other comorbidities, um, and I'm pretty comfortable, and 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 some nephrologists are comfortable with uh, typical uh, type 2 diabetes medications. And the patient I'm thinking of, I went ahead and started metformin uh, and uh, also referred to to endocrinology. I think that over time, as uh, because of the high prevalence of diabetes in the clinics of people uh, uh, who are nephrologists. Uh, we see these medications, uh, like metformin, SGLT2 inhibitors, insulin uh, more commonly, and are more able to make the, the most basic uh, initiations or, or adjustments The most of us feel uh, much more um, uh, less qualified to, to uh, take care of patients with uh, high doses of insulin and manage insulin titration, et cetera.
0: So would you say there's a lot of overlap regarding pharmacotherapy administration, particularly with non-injectable therapy?
2: I think that's true. Uh, nephrologists, uh, and there's of course a spectrum of, of of care, we're used to evaluating things like metformin and understanding that uh, as patients' kidney function decline uh, that uh, there need to be dose adjustments and medications broadly. Um, but metformin is one of those. And and so myself and I'm sure other nephrologists uh, oftentimes will discontinue metformin when we see that EGFR drop uh, to levels where metformin may be unsafe. We tend to be aware that that means that something else needs to be done to help manage their glucose control and, uh, and either we'll make a small change or try and and uh, communicate with a primary care provider, endocrinologist who can change concomitant medications uh, to to cover uh, those changes. We're uh, becoming increasingly familiar with things like SGLT2 inhibitors, um, which are fairly straightforward to prescribe. But really uh, when we get into the injectables, um, uh, which most of us don't have a lot of experience in explaining uh, to participants, with injectables, including both GLP1 receptor agonists and, and insulin. Um, uh, we don't have uh, nurses available to help show patients how, how to use these. And uh, honestly, we're not well trained in how to titrate um, um, you know, multiple daily injections uh, uh, for, for insulin. And, and that is uh, um, uh, where we really need collaboration and help from our primary care and endocrinology colleagues.
0: And considering the other side of these comorbidities, do you have any advice for diabetes professionals who might be able to recognise and advise on kidney disease and renal insufficiency in their patients?
2: Sure, Uh, and the first thing I'd like to start with is really the importance of screening. Um, We can't treat diabetic kidney disease if we don't find it. And about a third of patients uh, with type one or type two diabetes do have kidney disease based on a number of sources of epidemiologic evidence. Uh, There are good guidelines out there from the American Diabetes Association and uh, the UK and and other guidelines uh, really encouraging screening both with albuminuria and estimated GFR. Uh, Patients can present with both. And I I think the first message uh, and most important message is screen, diagnose, find, and then uh, we can take the next steps. And it's even more important to do that now that we have more therapies. Uh, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even five years ago, all we really had uh, was generic glycemic control, generic blood pressure control, and endotensin system inhibitors. But now as more therapies are becoming available, we have options uh, that work uh, and they work when used early. Uh, And so, identifying kidney disease and applying those medications so that we can ultimately bend this curve and, and start preventing kidney failure is is really the most critical thing. Uh, there's also, of course, uh, importance in, in de- uh, determining when to refer and how to communicate. And nephrologists can't see all the patients with kidney disease. There aren't enough of us uh, in nephrology, and, and nor is it necessary uh, for nephrologists to be involved in the care of all patients who have uh, mild or, or moderate kidney disease, um, those patients uh, usually can be cared for in primary care or endocrinology. The reasons to refer to, an endoc- to a nephrologist can include any question about the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, diabetes and kidney disease is common, and of course some of those patients will have other kidney diseases uh, like nephritis mm-hmm. and red flags for, for other Um, Types of kidney disease uh, other than diabetes-related include hematuria, which can be seen in diabetes, but uh, is a sign perhaps of a glomerular disorder. Um, Rapid changes. Uh, Diabetic kidney disease tends to evolve over decades or at least years. So rapid changes in in, uh, acceleration of kidney function loss. Uh, rapid emergence of proteinuria where it wasn't present before. Those are the sorts of, of abnormalities. You could add uh, systemic diseases uh, that may be um, causing a kidney disease in addition to the diabetes. If, there's a, if those things are evident and there's a question about the diagnosis, then that's a good time to refer to a nephrologist. Um, we don't usually do kidney biopsies in people who have diabetes and kidney disease. But when we see some of these red flags, we do. And we certainly do diagnose uh, other causes of kidney disease that, that require um, different treatments. And then nephrologists are often useful, I think, in, in the management of more severe advanced kidney disease and the complications that come with it. And of course, planning for dialysis. So uh, in my system, I practice at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in, in Seattle Um, Most of my referrals are related to either this issue of diagnosis or to management of uh, blood pressure that's become hard to control because of the advancing kidney disease, electrolyte abnormalities that are resulting from the kidney disease, such as hyperkalemia, uh, and then uh, education and uh, and and preparation for dialysis or other kidney replacement therapy as as needed in the future. Uh, We also deal with management of anemia and secondary hyperparathyroidism that might be resulting from the chronic kidney disease. So those are the the kind of the spectrum of of reasons to refer in my mind from diagnosis uh, to uh, comorbidity and and complication management uh, to blood pressure etc.
0: Thank you and looking at both sets of expertise and the overarching need to help people with diabetes to reduce their renal risk How should nephrologists and diabetologists work together to help their patients?
2: Right. You know, one way that's very important to communicate is some sort of summit or local gathering to discuss care practices outside the care of specific patients. And we did this recently at the University of Washington talking about specifically um, how will our community address uh, the prescription of SGLT2 inhibitors. And we talked about other drugs as well and other care practices. But as as these are coming up in our armamentarium, we, uh, we had a discussion with primary care, endocrinology, nephrology, cardiology, uh, pharmacy, all of us together about Uh, Who should be evaluating patients? Who should be prescribing? What are the uh, uh, indications as as a global unit that we should be looking for and who should be following up on on these medications? And I find that type of communication absolutely invaluable. Uh, It was was clear that uh, um, everybody had the same goals but approached uh, the evaluation of, of these medications slightly differently. And understanding that uh, is is key to to working together. So uh, now I I think I have a better understanding of uh, when endocrinologists think SGLT2 inhibitors might be uh, have a safety issue or or be dangerous. I understand when cardiologists uh, or have a better understanding at least of of when cardiologists think an SGLT2 inhibitor might be particularly important. And that helps my decision-making, and it helps me know also when I should pick up the phone and, and talk with them about a particular uh, patient. So uh, care practices vary from, from place to place. Um, and, uh, and I think that uh, it's just important for people uh, to have these sort of interdisciplinary meetings and, and talk this through, particularly as the management is getting uh, more, there are more possibilities available and the management is getting more complicated.
0: So you mentioned a local interdisciplinary summit is a good collaboration opportunity, but do you have any other recommendations for our listeners on how to approach their counterparts in nephrology to initiate uh, interdisciplinary care?
2: In my healthcare system, we have a lot of ways to communicate uh, across disciplines. Uh, We have Microsoft Teams, which I'm on all the time, actually, when I'm at the clinic and, and I message my diabetes practitioners and, and primary care uh, providers do that all the time. Of course, it's best just to pick up the phone and, and, and talk with them. Uh, we've talked about setting up a combined clinic uh, where nephrologists and endocrinologists and perhaps cardiologists are all in the same place at, at the same time. And I've heard of those done elsewhere. I think it's a great idea. It's a good way for uh, providers to interact and learn each other's approaches and and fabulous for patients as well if they can get one-stop shopping, seeing multiple specialists uh, at at the same time. Uh, It is hard to set up such clinics and uh, we haven't been able to do it yet but I hope we will in the future.
0: And then going a step further and considering that patients may also present with cardiovascular disease, how do you think that all three affected specialties can come together to help develop a multifactorial plan for managing their patients?
2: Right. And chronic kidney disease is a huge risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Uh, In fact, some of the epidemiology studies say that chronic kidney disease uh, really explains most or all of the increased cardiovascular risk with, with type 2 diabetes. In other words, it's those patients who get chronic kidney disease who are driving that excess cardiovascular risk. And it's related both to atherosclerotic disease like myocardial infarction and stroke and also to heart failure, which is markedly increased with, with chronic kidney disease. And so you know, the first uh, important thing is acknowledging that, that that's the case. Uh, many of my patients uh, with diabetes and chronic kidney disease also have uh, one or more cardiovascular diagnosis and, and treatments for that. Uh, and so there is an opportunity um, uh, uh, to enhance broad care of of all of these aspects of of their disease by considering them together. I do think about that. I think about when a patient uh, um, is seen in my clinic with diabetes uh, type 2 and chronic kidney disease and cardiovascular disease, uh, what is the predominant uh, need for this this patient? Um, Is the chronic kidney disease progressing rapidly and are they looking at uh, uh, developing a need for dialysis in the next year or two, uh, and I really need to focus on kidney protective medications. Or is this more of a stable chronic kidney disease for a patient who has bad cardiovascular disease and is much more likely to have another cardiovascular dent, event and and die prematurely than than to, than to go on to kidney failure? Those are two different situations and uh, require somewhat different uh, approaches to medication therapy. Um, though now we have medications, of course, that that treat all three of these problems uh, uh, fairly effectively, like GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors for for people with type 2 diabetes. So, um, you know, first recognition um, that there are multiple aspects of of health to to take care of. Uh, Second, I think, prioritization and and trying to to figure out which is most important for uh, for an individual patient. And then um, communication about... Uh, figuring out how to do this. Um, my patients who have diabetes, chronic kidney disease, and heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and are being treated with multiple drugs uh, for guideline-directed management for heart failure, um, including diuretics and neprilysin inhibitors uh, and spironolactone, uh, it gets quite complicated uh, to look at medication interactions um, uh, when you're talking about them. Uh, adding uh, an SGLT2 inhibitor, for example, Uh, and that requires uh, just talking with the providers. And and I oftentimes will team's message or pick up the phone and call call a cardiologist and say, hey, I want to increase the dose of of lisinopril, or I want to start an SGLT2 inhibitor or change a diuretic dose. Uh, is this okay with you? And and um, and, and what sort of follow up would would show arrange uh, with with you or me? And these are very complicated patients, and and uh, simply require communication. I think that uh, the good news is that as we have therapies that help treat diabetes, CKD, and cardiovascular disease together, um, treating each of these diseases is is helping the other, and we have opportunities to improve the global health of these patients uh, who have multiple comorbidities.
0: And do you have any other final remarks you'd like to share with our listeners today?
2: Sure. This is really an exciting time because we do have so many new therapies coming available. Standards of care clearly are changing in addition to glucose control, blood pressure management, RAS inhibition. We're seeing the new drugs for type 2 diabetes are uh, really expanding our options, uh, SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists in in particular. We're also seeing exciting new drugs being tested in clinical trials. Uh, For example, we had large trials of finarenone, a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, and atracentin an endothelin uh, antagonist. And the pipeline for diabetic kidney disease drugs is is large. So we're really blossoming uh, in terms of the therapies that are available to treat our patients. And this uh, gives us options. Um, And we're gonna have to work together to figure out how to apply these options uh, to layer therapies, uh, uh, which is particularly complicated in complex patients with, with multiple morbidities, how to personalize and individualize therapies as more options become available. Uh, And uh, it's exciting to have that possibility. Um, It's going to evolve over time, evidence is emerging rapidly. And so it's uh, important to have continued communication, continued conversations about this and uh, to implement the standard of care as it advances over time so that we can improve outcomes for these patients.
0: Thanks again for your time, Professor Bohr.
2: Yeah, uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: This brings us to the end of today's time. To summarise, there's a lot of overlap between patients presenting with diabetes and kidney disease. Therefore, screening is essential, as well as close communication and collaboration between nephrology and diabetes specialists.
1: Thanks for joining us. In a few weeks' time, we'll be speaking to Professor Darren Maguire, who is an expert in cardiovascular outcomes trials, to discuss data on the cardiorenal effects of giving GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors in combination. If you have a question for Professor Maguire on this topic, please send us an email to contact at knowledgeandpractice.eu or message us on social media. You can find links to these in the episode notes, as well as all the references discussed today.
0: Join us again for the next episode when we'll be discussing considerations in offering GLP-1 receptor agonists with Professor Carol LaRue.